I've tagged the text this morning with the title of Deniability. Deniability. Most of the time, deniability uh, means that, um, well, just take for instance, I was watching a television show over the weekend, or this past weekend, and there was some illegal activities that were going to take place, okay, on the behalf of a particular family. And so the son looked at the dad and he said, Dad, do, do you want to have deniability? Which means, do you want me to tell you what I've done after I've done it? Because if I do, you won't have deniability. But if I don't tell you, you'll have deniability because you won't know what is, what's happened. Now, I'm not using deniability in that sense. What I am talking about this morning, what the Scripture is talking about in Mark chapter 8, is the ability to deny. The ability to deny. So let's read these five verses as we close out chapter 8 and make our way into chapter 9 next uh, Sunday, Lord willing. Mark writes these words, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, now watch, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you may say, hey, I got the ESV, and that's not quite how the ESV reads. And you're right. This is the New American Standard. This is how I learned, I memorized the, this passage of Scripture from the New American Standard, so I'm going to use that this morning. Uh, instead of typically what I would read out of, and that's the ESV. He goes on to say, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What does it profit a man? You ever heard these words? To gain the whole world and to lose and to forfeit his soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his, in his glory and the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Our text this morning gives us an invitation to discipleship. It's an invitation to discipleship. Now, the disciples are there. I mean, they have already accepted Christ's invitation way back at the very beginning of Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel. We see these various men being called by Jesus to come and to follow him, to leave their occupations behind, leave their nets, leave their tax collecting, leave uh, their, their jobs and their livelihoods to follow Christ. And so they, they have already done that. And in the last couple of weeks, we have uh, seen Peter make this great confession of faith. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And, and you know, they said, well, some say that you're uh, uh, Jeremiah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Uh, you know, there, Jesus, there's just all kinds of ideas about who you are. Some say that you're Elijah, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in that moment of clarity, says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, it, and, and then in the very next verses, Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He's, he's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And Peter says, oh no. <laughs> Jesus says these things must happen. 
But Peter says, oh no, Lord, not on my watch. And Peter goes from the pinnacle of spiritual experience to the, to the very bottom of the spiritual valley. And when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was talking devil talk. You see, the, Satan himself did everything he could do to keep Jesus from the cross. I, I find it interesting that people talk about how the devil rejoiced in the crucifixion of Jesus, and yet there is nowhere in the Bible that says that Satan rejoiced in the crucifixion of Christ. Why? Because Satan tried to do everything he could to keep Christ from the cross. Why? Because he knew that's where his defeat lied. He, 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 Satan knew that his only hope of victory was to get the Son, of, the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to sin. That's why we have the story in the wilderness. That's why we have the story in the garden. Because Satan is constantly at work to get Christ to sin. Why? So that he can undo, undo the work of salvation. And, and so after... Jesus publicly, Peter pulls Jesus aside privately. Now, Jesus rebukes Peter. Peter. Peter rebukes Jesus privately. Jesus rebukes Peter publicly. Why? Because we said last week that, that Peter, in his confession of, no, Lord, that will not happen, when Jesus said that it must happen, was not just the sole idea of Peter, but it was the collective idea of the disciples. And so... Jesus had to rebuke him publicly. Now Jesus is calling unto himself this crowd of people and the disciples. And what he's doing is he's extending now this invitation to follow him beyond the disciples. It's really kind of a, it's really kind of a, a dual invitation. It, it is an invitation to the disciples to re-up. You know how when you're in the military, you, you serve so many years and then the military says, well... You've come to the end of your contract. Now, here's what you do. You can either re-up or get out. Well, if you're already disciples, it's really not a re-up or get out. It's you just re-up. <laughs> you just re-up. Salvation is free, but the, um, uh, the, the yearly dues is everything. But yet Jesus is, in one sense, reminding the disciples of what they have committed their lives to. And calling them, hey, hey guys, don't forget what you signed up for. But he's also calling some other people to join, to join with them. And Jesus says this, he says, if anyone, just look back at that verse, verse 34. I'm just kind of going to break it down real kind of simplistic and easy this morning. Notice the first two words, if anyone. That's a broad invitation, Right? It's a broad invitation. If anyone, who does that include? Anyone. Jesus', Jesus call is not to an exclu exclusive group of people. It is to anyone who will come. It's a broad invitation. But look at the next word, would. If anyone, or here it's wishes, wishes or would, if you're reading the ESV, what does that mean? Jesus says anyone can come, but it's based on your desirability, not your ability. Oh, I love that. Jesus said you don't, got any, you don't have to have any ability to come to me. You just have to have a desirability to come to me. Do you want to follow me? Is there a desire in your heart implanted by the Holy Spirit because that's the only way you get the desire to follow Christ is that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and all of a sudden you have this desire to do what God is calling you to do that you did not have before. He says wishes to what? Look at the next words. To come after. To come after. Now this is just a definitive act. Jesus says, if any of you have the desire, commit this definitive act of coming. 
Coming after what? Come after what? Me. Oh, that's great. Jesus says, discipleship is, is not about getting something from me. It's about getting me. Hey, did you get that? We got a Christianity that says, come to Jesus because you need to get blank. And Jesus says, no, Christianity, the only way... No, let me rephrase that. Jesus says that true Christianity is you come to me for me, and if you come to me for anything other than me, you have come with a wrong understanding of what Christianity is. That's what salvation is. Salvation isn't that I get my sins forgiven, even though I do get my sins forgiven. Christianity is more than I get heaven because it's more than just getting heaven. Christianity is about I get Jesus. And if I get Jesus, and if I come to Jesus for Jesus, then I get forgiveness of sin, I get heaven, I get everything else thrown in with it. But I can't come to Jesus for what He'll give me. i got to come to Jesus for Him. For Him. Because, let me ask you a question. What is heaven and forgiveness if you don't get Jesus? Do, do you remember when Moses uh, uh, was, was... God let him like, look over a little bit over into the promised land? And the Lord said, Moses... I'm going to let y'all go ahead and go in, but I ain't going with you. That's bad English, but good preaching. I ain't going with you. Now, a lot of church folks would see, look at that, the promised land. They got grapes bigger than humans. Right? I mean, it's flowing with milk and honey. Now, that may not be, I don't know, I mean, translate that into whatever you like today, but that's pretty good stuff back then, milk and honey. I mean, this is a rich, fertile land. It is, it is way better than what they, where they had been in a desert living off angel food cake every day. Okay, even though they didn't have to do anything to get it except just walk out there and pick it up. You know, they, they did drink water from a rock. That's pretty wild. But they look over into the promised land, and, and, and there it is. And it, I mean, it is everything God said it was and more. And God told Moses, y'all go on in, but I, I'm not going with you. And most church folks, and, and really people who don't understand, and I call them church folks, not Christians, who don't really understand what Christianity is all about, say, I don't care if you go. I just, hey, that's what I've been, that's exactly what I've showed up for. That's what I want. But Moses is a true follower of Christ, and he says, Lord, if you ain't going, I ain't going. Why? Because isn't that what it means to follow Jesus? Lord, wherever you go, that's where I go. And if you're not going, I don't care how good it is, why would I want to go? And here's the bottom line. Do you know a lot of people would go to heaven free of, you know, of disease and sickness and death and, and all, the, you know, all the stuff that it's free of and all the stuff that it's full of? But, you know, heaven can be free of all of that and full of everything, and yet if it doesn't have God, it ain't worth nothing. If Jesus is not there, why in the world would you want to go there? It's like the, 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 the old um, um, Southern Gospel song. I guess it's Southern Gospel that talks about... Um, uh, you know, when you get to heaven, about all the people you'd see. And the song kind of goes through some of the people. I think the Gaither sing it. But it gets to the chorus, and it says, But I just want to see Jesus, right? The one who died for me. I bowed on my knees and cried, Holy is the name of the song. Why? Because, that's, because it don't matter if mama and papa's there. It don't matter if your wife or your husband's there or your kid is there. If Jesus, ain't, if Jesus is not there... It's worth nothing. So Jesus said, if anybody wishes to come after me, okay, there, there's, a, there's a specific pathway of discipleship. And that specific pathway is that I come after Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about me following Jesus. So that's the invitation. 
It's a broad invitation. It's, it's based on desirability, not ability. It's a definitive act down a specific pathway. That leads me to my second point. Stipulations of discipleship. Okay? Stipulations. Jesus lays out some terms. Look at, look, look at the end of verse 34. He said, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Who's he? Who's the he he's talking about? Whoever comes. Whoever accepts the invitation. But look at what he says. Must. They must. Jesus is saying that if you're coming to him, anyone that will come after him, here's the stipulation. It's non-negotiable. It's not optional. It's an obligation. It's not open for debate. It's only open for doing. What must you do? Deny himself. Step one. Stipulation one. Deny himself. What does Jesus mean by deny himself? Jesus does not use the usual word for deny, but a stronger verb, meaning to have absolutely no association with or disown completely without reservation or hesitation. It is entrance into a new state or a condition. To deny oneself means to surrender immediate material gratification in order to discover and secure one's true self and God's interests. It's a willingness to let go of selfish desires and earthly security. This attitude turns self-centeredness into God-centeredness. Now, let me say this. Self-denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. I've got to clear this up for you. We practice self-denial for a good purpose. We occasionally give up things or activities, right? Like sugar, donuts, caffeine, TV, whatever it might be. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and to determine to obey His will. It is a once and for all dedication followed by a daily dying to self as we take up the cross and follow Him. From the human point of view, we are losing ourselves. But from the divine perspective, we are actually finding ourselves. When we live for Christ, listen, when we live for Christ, we become more like Him. And, the, and this brings out our unique individuality. So... That's, that's a lot of defining, and sometimes definitions don't help us, right? Some of y'all don't like the dictionary. I don't know why. I have it on my phone. I love the dictionary. I get a word of the day every day. I love it. Some of us need a, an illustration, right? Like, just show me what that means. Like, you just told me, but can, like, can you give me an example? And guess what I can the word deny is only used two times in the entire Bible. So let me tell you something. If that's the case, then this is a word we better pay close attention to. It's used here, and it's used when Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Jesus said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but take heart? Why? Because I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen the brethren. So, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Jesus says here, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. So, let's look at the moment that Peter denied Jesus so that we'll know what it looks like to deny ourselves. Y'all tracking with me? Here's the, here's the illustration. It's, it's, it's real clear. We, we actually see it happen three times. Then they seized him and led him away. This is Jesus bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. All right? 
This is, this, is, right, this is leading up to the crucifixion. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them, just this group of people. And the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking at him closely, said, This man also was with him. Now watch. Watch. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. There's one way to deny yourself. It's the way Peter denied Jesus. The next time you want to do what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do, you know what you tell that part of you that wants to sin against God? That's not who we are anymore. I, I don't know you. You're not what I am any longer. That's not the person I am. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. How do you deny yourself? That's not who I am. That's not what I do. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And he immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. When Jesus says this, we must deny ourselves, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. There remains in each side of every Christian sin. We're not sinless. But sin remains in us. But what we must do to the sin that remains in us is we must deny that. Why? Because that is not who we are any longer. Amen? We are the righteousness of Christ. God's Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation in Christ. And so when Jesus says we must deny ourselves, that's what we are denying. We are denying all of that, 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 that sinful part of us that still wants to have its way. And this is hard. It's much easier to die at the hands of an executioner than to execute our wills, our importance, and our agenda. So to deny self is to say no to yourself, to relinquish all claims to your life, and to renounce your right to run your life. Remember what Jesus said. I mean, remember what Paul said. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, you've been bought with a price. Jesus gave His life for your life. Therefore, He has absolute claim on your life. Or He has no claim on your life. Jesus picked up His cross and died for our sins. Now we must pick up our cross and die to our sins. This mandate is not optional. This mandate must be obeyed. Jim Elliott, the Christian missionary martyr, if you've never seen the, the, the movie The End of the Spear, uh, you, should, you should see it. And, uh, Jim Elliott was at Wheaton College and he was, a, he was a star athlete. He was a star football player. He was star in track and field. Jim Elliott was, was well known for his athletic endeavors. And Jim was also a great preacher. And he was known and was... And was uh, let me say, 
Jim Elliott was the Tim Tebow of his day. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I think that'll help everybody kind of wrap your mind around what Jim Elliott was like. He's kind of the Tim Tebow of his day. But instead of being on SEC Network, like Tim is, Jim was called to go to South America to a cannibal tribe called the Aka Indians and share the gospel with them. And so in, while he was still at Wheaton College at 22 years of age, he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's talking about the verses that we're reading this morning. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And six years later, at 28 years of age, Jim Elliott, along with four other missionaries, landed their plane, their little yellow plane, uh, there on a, on a riverbed in South America. And, uh, and, and when their plane, called 57 Henry, landed in that creek bed and they got out, they, they had guns inside their uh, inside their plane, and, and, and actually, Nate Saint's son had asked him, one of the other missionaries, said, Daddy, if, if, if the AUKUS tried to harm you, will, will you use your gun? Will, Daddy, will you, will you kill the Indians so they won't kill you? And, and, and Nate Saint said to his son, he said, Son, he said, we're ready for heaven. The AUKUS are not. And those five men were slain not far from where their plane landed in a riverbed in the Amazon jungle. But I got good news for you. They gave up what they could not keep to gain what they could not lose. And, the, and that testimony reverberated in that tribe. And eventually, the whole tribe, even the very ones that slew them that day, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're, were saved and changed. Even the man that led the, ch that, that led the group that, that slaughtered those missionary men, Nate Saint's son who asked that question, would later not only meet the man who killed his father, but he considers him to be his surrogate grandfather. You can't live that kind of life if you don't deny yourself. You may never be called to a, to a cannibalistic tribe in South America, but you are called to be a light in a culture that's as dark as any cannibalistic tribe is right here in America. And if you're going to be the light that Christ has called you to be and called me to be, if we're to be the disciples that Christ called us to be, it, it requires us to deny ourselves. Why? Because if not, our sin will take the more comfortable road in this life. And it, won't, it will not be about denying ourselves. It will be about satisfying ourselves. But not only does Jesus, i got to hurry, not only does Jesus say deny yourself, but what does he say? He says, take up your cross and take up your cross this is Jesus' second stipulation, and it means to pick up at once. It speaks of death to self for the sake of Jesus. He's not saying wear your cross, but bear your cross. Many wear crosses today who have never genuinely taken up their cross. This reference to a cross needed no explanation, for the Jews had seen thousands of their countrymen crucified by the Romans. Allegiance, even to death, is demanded of Christ's followers. Everyone who accepts this great salvation must prove the reality of their faith by carrying the cross of Christ. Like his Lord, each disciple must bear his own cross. To understand what this cross Jesus refers to is, we need to talk about what it isn't. Now listen, your cross that you carry, it ain't your lost spouse, it isn't your wayward child, it isn't your mother-in-law, it isn't your difficulties. It isn't your bad situations that you face in life. It isn't the tough boss that you work for. It isn't the disease that you struggle with day in and day out. The cross is not a place of suffering. It is a place of death. It's a place of death. 
To take up one's cross means to willingly pick up and carry the shame. People mock men who carried the cross. Unlike today, when a person will carry one across America and draw cheers, a man under a cross in Jesus' day drew jeers. They jeered him. They rejected him. It was the, the suffering and the death that Jesus willingly carried for us. To take up the cross means that you are willingly willing to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, his death, and his word, regardless of what it costs you personally, publicly, or financially. Look at this verse. And whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. You think non-cross-carrying people are going to get into heaven? Nope. They're not. An Italian legend tells about a man who had a servant who was rather stupid. One day the master became exasperated and told the servant, You're the stupidest fellow I've ever known. I want you to take this staff and carry it with you. And if you ever meet a man who is more stupid than you are, give, him, give them the staff. The servant took the staff and he met some pretty dumb men, but wasn't quite sure they were dumber than he was. So he never gave away the staff. Then one day he was called back to the castle. He was ushered into the master's bedroom where the master was on his deathbed. He told the servant, I'm, I'm going on a long journey. The servant asked, when will you be back? The master replied that he would not return. And the servant asked, well, sir, have you got everything prepared for your journey? And the master said, no, I've not really made much preparation for it. And the servant asked, could you have made preparation? Could you have sent something on? And the master said, yes, I guess I had a lifetime to do that, but I was just too busy about other things. And the servant went on and then you won't be back to the castle, to the lands, to the animals. And the master said that he would not be back. The legend says that the servant took the staff which he had carried for all those years and said to the master, here, you take the staff. I finally met a man who was more stupid than myself. You may hear the words of Jesus, and you may say, that's a lot. He's asking a lot. And Jesus goes on at the end of this passage that we've read, and he says, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus says, look, I, here's what I'm offering Jesus says, what I'm offering you is I'm offering you to, get, to give up your life to find life. That's not stupid, that's smart. Jesus says, in the end, what's it gonna gain, what, what gain will you have if you gain everything but lose your life? Did you notice there's no answer to that question? Because Jesus isn't looking for an answer. It's called a rhetorical question because everybody already knows the answer. Jesus says, if you want to be smart, leave it all behind. And he says what? Follow me. Follow me. And Jesus says, if you do that, I've got an incentive for you. What's the incentive? That you'll gain that you'll gain what? Life? Isn't that what he says? Life? Do you know what the word for life is there? It's not the typical Greek word for life. It's not the word zoe, Z-O-E. -Z it is the word psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E. 
You, you know, you, do you know what the word psyche means? It's where we get our word psychology. Jesus is, here's what he's saying. He's like, if you do this, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. What is Jesus saying? He's talking about our psychology, our identity. Jesus says, if you lose who you really are, guess what you'll find? You'll find who you really are. That's the incentive. Jesus says, if you'll, if you'll give up your old life, if you'll give up your old identity, here's what will happen. I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you a new identity. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're, you, you cannot live out your old identity and, and follow me. Every culture points to a certain, certain things and says that if you gain these things, if you acquire these things, or if you achieve these things, then you'll, then, then you'll find who you really are, right? Every culture says identity is gain-based, performance-based, achievement-based. No matter how much of these things you gain, it's never enough to really make, to make you sure of who you are. If you're building your identity off somebody loves me, if you're building your identity off, I have a good career. If you're building your identity off uh, uh, whatever, if anything goes wrong with those things, you'll fall apart. Some of you are saying, I hear what you're saying. Don't, don't build your identity on parental approval, on career, on romance, on relationships, on finances, etc., you're saying I need to build my life on God. No. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that either. That's too abstract. What does that mean anyway? I'm going to build my life on God. It's a pretty abstract word. You need something concrete. No life had, has been completely changed at the root by an act of the will. Notice Jesus says... We must, what we must do. Lose it for what? For my sake and the what? And the Gospels. Jesus roots our motivation in what is concrete. Jesus is saying, don't come to me to get from me, but to get me. If you see Jesus losing everything for you, then you will gain strength and assurance to lose everything to gain Him. I believe Jesus most fully expresses his identity and our true identity in the garden when he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's true identity. That's where we find our true identity. It's not in God, I want to do what I want to do, but God, help me to do what you want me to do. No matter how much of these things you gain, it's never enough to really make you sure of who you are. But some people will say, you know what? I think what I'm going to do, I've been, I've been a failure. I've been immoral. This is what I hear in the South. So, so what I'm going to do is I, I'm just going to go to church, start reading my Bible, become a moral person, a decent person, and then I'll be all right. I'm going to become spiritual. Listen, Jesus is not calling us to shift from one game-based, gain-based, one performance-based identity to another. He wants us to find a whole new way. We don't come to Jesus to do something. We come to Jesus because something has been done for us. The only thing that you can contribute this morning to your salvation is that you bring your sin. You bring your brokenness. 
You bring that to Jesus and say, this is, all I, this, is, this is all I have to offer. And Jesus says, I know. I've already taken that. Now here's what, here's what I'm going to give you. Listen, Jesus, when he created you, you know what he created you to do? To lose yourself. That's what he created you to do. That's why, that's why we give ourselves to so many things. That's why this warning is in the Bible. Why? Because Jesus created us to, to lose ourselves to him, not to lose ourselves to the broken identity that we were born with because of sin. I'm going to see if this works this morning. Let's see if I can get it up. I'm going to have to skip through that. There's a lot more I wanted to say, but let me just get to this picture. I'm close with this picture. Weird, isn't it? What is that anyway? That's what happens when you gain the whole world and lose your soul. You know, how, you know how old that, that's a, that's a real person under there. You know when that person died? Over 2,000 years ago. That person died in the first century in a place called Pompeii in Italy. That person has been carbonized in that very position, I think, since about 83 A.D. We are now in the year 2021. So 1,900 and some odd years it's been in that very position. Pompeii was consumed by a volcanic eruption by the name of Mount Vesuvius. The whole city was swallowed up in ash and lava. For many years, they thought Pompeii was a myth, that it wasn't real. It was like uh, Atlantis. It just didn't exist. You know why? Because it was buried in some parts under 70 feet of ash and lava. So less than 100 years ago, they began to excavate the site where Pompeii was believed to, to have existed. And oh, did it exist. It is quite the city. And the story is told about this individual. They began to excavate many, many bodies from the city. I've got pictures of children that they excavated that were carbonized with their teeth still intact. Think about teeth that are still intact almost 2,000 years later. It's amazing. And this gentleman here was found in the middle of the city street in Pompeii. As a matter of fact, I stood on the street where the man was found. And when you look down the street, the street, you see the actual end of the city. As a matter of fact, if he could have got to the end of the if he could have got to the end of that road, he was he would have been saved. He he would have avoided being consumed by the lava. But that's where, that's the position he was found in. What happened? Did he, I mean, he, I mean he's like 200 yards away from not dying. Why would somebody sit down in the middle of the street and put their hands up to their face and simply give up when they're so close to living. What you don't see in that picture is that this man was surrounded with gold. Rings, bracelets, all kinds of riches surrounded him. So the story is believed in Pompeii that this particular individual was trying to escape with all of their earthly wealth. 
And because they would not lose it all, they lost their life. That's what it looks like to gain the world and lose your soul. That's it. That's what it looks like right there. To be so close to salvation and yet fall so short. What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's the profit? Nothing. But what can a man gain if he loses his life for my sake and the gospel? Jesus says everything. So let me close this way. Which illustration best fits you? Is that you? Is that what your life looks like? You may say, that's not what it looks like right now, but not right now, but it's what it will look like if you continue down the same path. That's where you'll end up. You'll end up being the stupidest person on earth. Or does your life look like Jim Elliott? Where you say, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose, Jesus. Which life is more like yours? Well, if you're a Christian, it should look like Jim Elliott's. If it doesn't, hear Jesus call to you one more time as his follower. If you're truly mine, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And all of that is not meant for your consideration. It is meant for you to do it and to do it right now. I don't care how young you are. If, 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 if you can understand that, if the Holy Spirit enables you to understand that, then you're capable right now of making that decision. You're, you're never too young. And guess what? You're never too old. But if, you've, if you haven't, if your, life, if your life consists of finding your life in this world, That's what your life looks like in the end. Let's pray. Father, disciples, we, we do gain by losing. And when we lose, we have not lost anything, but we have gained everything. But we can't gain what is most important. We haven't gained what, what, what you want to give us, which is our true selves, which is a, a, a true identity, which is an identity that can uh, thrive in a world of selfies, that can thrive in a world of broken identities, that can thrive in a world that's, that, that's, that, that's, that's giving itself away to money and relationships and and, and what other people think about them, and so, so, so many other ways of living. You call us, and you say, here it is. Here's true life. It's me. I gave my life for you, now come and give your life to me. It's, it's simple. It's free, and yet it requires everything. Father, there, 
There could be an adult, a, a, a teenager. That simply needs to do that this morning. They're trying Christianity apart from this, and it just simply doesn't work. This is the pathway of discipleship. And so I pray that you give them the strength and the desirability to say today, I deny myself. I pick up my cross. Lord, I'm going to follow you because there's no other way to live. And then, Father, for those of us that have made that decision, Luke reminds us that it's a daily decision. And there are some in this room, we fall victim not to, to, to this daily practice, but we have fallen victim to this practice becoming less and less in our life. And for some of us, it's been a while since we've denied ourselves. It's been a while since we've taken up our cross. And yet if we are truly yours this morning, within our hearts this morning, there should be deep conviction about the state of our walk with you. So I pray that you would convict your children of having left that first love, of having fallen victim to the very parts of life that we've been called to turn our backs on and not live for. Grant us the grace this morning to resolve anew like we did many years ago for some of us to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow you afresh in Christ's name. Amen. If you will stand this morning as we sing this final song. This final song is probably one of my favorite songs to sing. It says, Jesus is better. Help my heart to believe. So this morning, our altars are open. If you want to come and pray, I'll be standing down front. If you need to talk or to pray, just let the Holy Spirit do His work in your heart this morning.